0: my name is Sanal Prakash, and this is The Discourse, a series of episodes where I dive into and tackle the most relevant topics within the school system and the county. In today's episode, we're talking about the racial equity and equal opportunities, or lack thereof, in LCPS. To give you guys some context, last spring, the LCPS School Board voted to create a department to assess equity across the country after several situations, which we're going to talk about, received a backlash and were taken under review. Today, I'm here with Ms. Brenda Sheridan, the chair of the Ad Hoc Committee of Equity.
1: Hi, this is Brenda Sheridan. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for coming. So I want to know why you
0: decided to initially step up and get involved with the equity
1: committee. As the Sterling representative on the school board, I represent all eight Title I schools. And about six years ago, and throughout all of the decisions we make, I look at all of the policies and the programs and the budget through an equity lens. Because If you go to a Title I school, that means the socioeconomic free and reduced population is very high. Some of our elementary schools that are Title I are 85% free and reduced, so that means that that many students in the the building qualify for free and reduced meals. So I always try to make sure that when we pass the budget and we adopt programs, that we're making sure that what we're going to refer to as an opportunity gap is small for those students. I also grew up and was, I was raised in a single family household. Um, we were on welfare and food stamps my entire childhood. So I, that's one of what I have learned is one of my unconscious biases. But six years ago, it really became a focus of mine. I wasn't successful in getting an equity committee over the last um, few years, established on the, within the school system and as a school board committee. But it's always been my focus to look at everything through that lens. And what it's become is one of my biases which I've realized now through the, um, the equity committee that we do have. I think my main reason or the main reason that the school board finally created this ad hoc committee on equity is because our parents and the community demanded it. We just really need it. We needed to look at what was happening. Some of the things that were happening in our schools perhaps are unintentionally causing harm and probably some are intentionally causing harm
0: you have that unconscious bias because you were grown up with that experience. Absolutely. I can see that too a lot when I'm because I'm minority. I can see it when I look at like my peers, like the underrepresentation or the inequity even like as small as like in the classroom or in peer interactions. And you were saying these parents had wanted they had started demanding this equity committee right. because it is really necessary. They started addressing the underrepresentation of African American students that were admitted into AET and AOS. If I'm looking at the fact here that out of sixty five applicants, only one African American student was admitted to AET, and zero were
1: admitted to AOS. This is, like, it's so strange, like, to even think of, like, realize that. So eight is enough, or eight is not enough became, they made t-shirts, and that became one of the things that, that was a big focus throughout the budget last year, and the EDGE program. And I think one of the things that I realized with our EDGE program, which is targeted at students that are unrepresented in our gifted program to bring them, and I help identify them, is that we were putting them in are community schools with high, free, and reduced populations. And that is not actually accurate when we're looking at our African American students, that many of those students live in are more affluent. We're not being successful in bringing those students into our gifted programs and also making sure that they have access to the information and the uh, access to the applications and making sure that they're informed. So we're, we were well, I think the EDGE program is serving an unrepresented community with, within our Title I schools and our, higher, our schools with higher frame reduced populations, even that aren't designated Title I, that if we're trying to focus on having more of our African American students in our gifted and then our academies, that we need to put our focus in some of our other schools and it was it was an unconscious bias it it's a bias that exists to think that our minority equals poor or that our EL community also equals poor because that is not accurate
0: yeah definitely that i think even just with people who don't even are able who aren't able to see this like full picture um just looking at classmates there's misconceptions about the correlation between race or ethnicity and the socioeconomic level right. i know plenty of my friends who are Hispanic, Latino, um, and their families are very well supported. And I know there are actually many um, Caucasian or white families
1: that are all they're they're not very stable in their sure. like finances. Um, they could have food insecurity, and I think overall the the unfortunate part of of all of this is not just our equity, but when we look at students. And we make these assumptions about someone, whether you assume they're poor or because they're EL, that you can make an assumption that they're also poor, or their parents don't care about them, or because they're not able to participate. And I think one of the things that I learned early on, even just as a parent volunteer, is that um, parents who don't volunteer isn't always because they don't, is not because they don't care about their students. Perhaps they're working two jobs, perhaps they have younger kids at home, um, a lot of the students in, in some of these schools are also responsible for taking care of their younger siblings. So there's so many things that you can look at and address. And I think just over the years, not just the way I grew up, but because of the community I live in and the community I represent on the school board, I really developed a bias. And so what the equity ad hoc committee has really done for me is made me take a step back listen and look at all of the information that we've been presented over many years, which is a huge criticism out of MSAC and the NAACP and the other groups that have just come before us, and say, hey, we need to take a step back and really analyze what's going on. So I think the assessment that the Equity Collaborative did for us truly spoke to the parent groups, to the staff groups, and most importantly, the students. And one of the things that came out of it that I, I made a note about and is, is in my notebook is to believe the students because the students will tell you exactly what they want you to know. And so whether I'm sitting in, like yesterday, I went to a GSA meeting, whether I'm sitting there and the students tell me that they don't feel welcome in our schools, or I'm sitting and talking to students that have food insecurities and that they really need their Backpack Buddy program, or I'm talking to students who um, are minority students and they don't feel like there's representation of them. And So whichever, whoever it is, believe them because if they take the time to sit and talk to you and tell you what's going on, they're passionate about it. They're just as passionate as I am about making sure that we close this. We're calling it an achievement gap. Because that puts the onus on the student. It's an opportunity gap. Because when we open the doors and create opportunities, the students in our school system go for it. They want it. They want to achieve. They want the opportunities. They want to try new programs. They want to try new things. Just like like you here with your podcast, right? Yeah. It's an opportunity you've been given and you're taking full advantage of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean... This is
0: education, and school is It's setting them up for their future. It's setting up for their successes, and it's also going to set them up for their failures. If they're not given these opportunities to succeed,
1: how are they going to succeed? How are we going to find out what they're good at if yeah, we don't exactly. create opportunities? So when we put barriers up based on any of the protected classes or any any class, right, whether it's race or gender, um Anybody, what, what would you do if somebody told you, oh, you're a girl, you can't be, you can't run a podcast? That's ridiculous, right? Because look, <laughs> you're doing it right now.
0: Yeah. Even like um, when we do like field trips, if a student can't afford it and they're already on un- in qualified for free and reduced lunch, that you can get financial aid, right? right? And even if you're not, if there's like problems at home, schools are accommodating for that. And I think that same like discipline has to be applied to every aspect, leveling that playing field so that those who want to succeed, can succeed Mm -hmm. if they're all given the same opportunity then they'll be able to and it's not just for the sake of like right now their life and their stability but also the concept of if a student understands that they have as good a chance as anybody they're going to be willing to put that foot forward i know a lot of my friends, actually, they assume because they're lower on the socioeconomic level or what we perceive the socioeconomic level to be, that they are not able to do as much. I know some of my friends who are uh, Latino or Hispanic who haven't grown up with the necessary like liter- literacy um, programs or reading materials or sources when they were younger or didn't have time to do that because... Or their parents didn't have time to help them with that because their parents are too busy, like, trying to just support them. Or they're from a different them. country Um and that didn't speak exactly. English. And they feel like they're at such a disadvantage and they have to take lower classes. One of my friends told me when we were choosing classes last year that she doesn't think she can take three APs. And I said, why? Like, do you think it's too much stress? And she said, no, I just don't think I, a person like me can do that and that wow. was like, was so shocking to me too so
1: that's where that's where whatever has has occurred in that student's life and the messaging that's been given to that student has dampened their inner self to like really strive for what they think they can do and that that's really unfortunate it's funny though because now we've gotten talking about um socioeconomics and one of the things that we've learned through our unconscious bias training that both the school board did and our committee did and all of the teachers in the county are doing and eventually all of the um, employees in the entire um, school system will will go through is that it's really easy to talk about everything except race that race is difficult to talk about. And our committee is focused on race right now. We decided that as a committee, it came out of the assessment that that was the priority for our students in our school system. So I'm going to take that and let's talk about race again. And, um, and to always remind ourselves to go back to race because it's the hardest thing to talk about. It's really difficult. It's very personal for people. And what I would say, I, I was asked directly by somebody on the committee if I was uncomfortable talking about race and I said yes I am and they were surprised and I said because as everybody anybody who knows me I'm white so I don't I don't get it I don't understand what it's like to fear when my children go out in public that based on their skin color that someone is going to harm them or mean them harm or assume that they are doing something wrong I don't have the ability to empathize. I can empathize, but I don't understand. I can't fully understand and grasp that concept. And so is it uncomfortable to talk about race? That's just one example, but yes, it is. My, my kids and my own experience, even though I was poor, I didn't have a race issue blocking me. And there's a really wonderful um, video at the beginning of this module that all of the um, school employees are going through it's, it's a track and there's a white male student and then there are minority students and all the things that it it just demonstrates that the white student just keeps running and is able to, to lap on the track, the students and the blockades that are put in the other, in the minority students ways and, and who is perceived as the winner of the race. And to me, Of course, it's perceived that the white male student wins because he goes away with the trophy, but the student that beat the odds and that surpassed all the obstacles on the track is the real winner. And so it's, it's interesting because it takes, it takes time to change your perceptions and the way you think about things and, um, Jamie Almanzan he is with the equity collaborative and he's a facilitator of he helps us facilitate our discussions during our committee meetings and the other thing that I've really tried to take with me is that it's about practice and he he very often will say it's difficult the most difficult thing for adults is to change because we're already adults we've already you know I'm almost 50, so I've have 50 years of my biases in my head and my perceptions of, of what's going on in the world. And so the hardest thing is to change that. And, um, but it takes practice. So the first thing you have to do is be willing to open your mind, right? And you have to be willing to hear what other people have to say. And you have to be willing to really confront your own biases and realize what they are. And then you can practice and then that leads to change. But it takes practice every day. It, it takes making sure that when you look at people, you aren't just seeing their skin color, that you're getting to know them too. And you shake their hand and you look them in the face. And when you ask somebody how they are, you listen to how what they say. And then um, when we talk about achievement, it is, you know. Some of the things that the MSAC parents and the NAACP advocate for are that the tests we use are biased. They're racially biased and they're, they aren't fair. So the assessments we do to determine who gets into the academies of, of Loudon, no matter whether it's the AET or a- AOS, is that PSAT is a biased test. I believe we aren't using that anymore starting this year. But what makes me feel bad is is that if we've determined that now, I wish we had had this conversation 6 years ago when we first started talking about it because we would be 6 years ahead in the progress that we have that we need to make. So we're just starting. We're really just starting on this journey as a as a school system.
0: And you're right it is very uncomfortable for to talk about race. Race is a very hard topic in politics and society no matter what not even just in our like county and our situation and we're we're working on fixing this misconceptions of society that race is hard to talk about like and people assume that because it's hard to talk about we shouldn't talk about it and that's exactly what we should do if it's if it's hard that means that's the first thing you should be talking about you need to talk about the things that are hard because the things that are hard are the things that matter and that's how like exactly our society is now based upon, like, these these students are going to be the future leaders of the world. And how are those leaders of the world going to be able to lead the world if they're not all on the same page, if they're not able to work together, and if they already have these biases in their minds of what they they can do or what they can't do or what other people can't do or, you know, all these different perceptions that aren't necessarily true. So if even if it does come up in a discussion – We are all very reserved. We have very reserved conservative
1: opinions about it. Well, don't you think you and I are being kind of reserved about it too? That we don't want to say the wrong thing and we don't want to offend anybody. And yet we're trying to have a discussion about it. Exactly. So how do we not talk about it?
0: So it's it's, it's, it's something
1: very difficult to like maneuver around because you don't want to
0: offend. Like you're saying, you don't want to offend anybody, but you also want to address it. You want to talk mm-hmm. about it. And even just like writing my notes for this, like I was thinking, oh, I can't say anything, any offending, or
1: I want to make sure I'm saying the right things. But what I think we have to get to a point, what I would hope we could get to a point is that if I say something wrong or insensitive, that we take the time that whoever hears it, and this is for anybody. So somebody says something insensitive or that could be considered hate speech or discriminatory or wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for lack of a better word, that we take the time we don't have to yell at people and tell them they're wrong, but perhaps we take the time to say, "Hey, what you just said was offensive." It's it would be it would fall under hate speech. It would fall under, you know, the things that we hear at Dominion or any of our other high schools or any of our schools in in our in our school division and say, we're just not doing that anymore. And I'm, I'm here to remind you, not yelling at you. I'm here to remind you, let's get back on track. Um, If we can start talking to each other like that, that's where the practice starts. I just think, and if we start having conversations about diversity and, and how, how great and celebrate our diversity, rather than look at it and Instead of seeing the differences and separating ourselves, if we embrace it and learn about each other, um, doing it right from the get-go in kindergarten and celebrating it—you know—one of the things that I've tried to keep reiterating is that we can teach our all of our staff in our school system. We can make sure that everybody is is trained in these modules. Equity at the center is the name of the modules that we're using for our staff. We can make sure our bus drivers get it and our school cafeteria workers and all of our teachers and all of our classified staff. And I think that that's really important. And I champion that. What I also want to champion is that we start teaching our kids that too in the school system in kindergarten. It can certainly be incorporated into our school counselor you remember, I you remember having the, um, you, the guy at the time they were called guidance counselors. You would have guidance yes. and the school counselor yeah. would come in and give you that lesson. And I think that it's uh, this message can be incorporated in there starting in kindergarten and that um, all the way through high school, that that is something that is incorporated into our curriculum and that we also offer that to our parents because. I love the pictures of like the two little kids. There's a white one and a black one and they're hugging and they don't, they don't see the differences in each other. They just see two little kids that that can play together and they're happy. And I think that kids don't, kids, kids aren't born with these biases. We're taught the biases and you know, whether you're learning it at home or you learn it at school, you learn it on the bus, you learn it on the playground in your preschool, wherever you learn it, maybe you don't even learn it until you hit middle school but wherever it's happening that we start at the beginning when we when our when our when our kids first come into our school system that we start teaching and practicing that everyone is special and everyone has the opportunity to learn and everybody can achieve and that we just have to create these the access and the opportunities for students to figure out what they like to do, what they're good at and that the person sitting next to them is someone to learn from and along with I just think we can make some real progress and a real difference in our school system and in our communities and then in the world, right? Because you never know where you're going to end up after you leave.
0: <laughs> and it it takes time. For Absolutely. like it's going to
1: be we have to
0: start now and it's going to take time over generations to rebuild a culture and society where everyone is accepted, everyone is seen as equal and definitely starting in schools is Right. I think because it's hard to like just try and change society out there, right? You have to start right. when kids are young and then you have to trust that you have given them the opportunity and showed them that you can be equal, you should be equal, everyone is equal so that they can go into society and, you know, spread that message again. Well, thank you so much for coming
1: in. I think that's all the time we have for today. Great. Thank you so um, much for having me. It's been course. a pleasure to get to know you and to have this not necessarily comfortable discussion <laughs> because we want to say everything right. Yeah. But I hope um, your listeners know that um, my heart and I can tell yours is in the right place and we're just opening this dialogue up and the, the thing people need to remember is that we're going to stumble on our words and we're going to say the, maybe not say everything correctly, but that we're moving forward and we are making that progress. So thank you for having me in today.
0: Thank you. My name is Sanal. This has been The Discourse and I'll see you guys next time.